Let us pray together in preparation for the reading and preaching of God's word. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and Pastor Paul preaches this morning, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our gospel reading this morning is from Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 through 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food? thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer to him, to them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of those who are members of my family, you did it to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, whatever age you are, um, every one of us probably has a song or two from our childhood that taught us some belief or some value about life. For better or for worse, we all have them. Um, Songs like, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Or maybe it was, a, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. Taught you your alphabet. I remember one of those songs for me when I was growing up was called, I Don't Want to Be a Goat. Nope. Anybody know that song? It goes, I don't want to be a goat. Nope. I don't want to be a goat. Nope. Because a goat ain't got no hope. Nope. I don't want to be a goat. Nope. And then it went on. And it used verses from the scriptures or or groupings of people like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and it would say, I don't want to be a Pharisee. And then it said, Because a Pharisee ain't fair, you see. Or I don't want to be a Sadducee. Because a Sadducee is sad, you see. There were some silly verses that even said, I don't want to be a llama mama. I don't want to be a llama mama. Well, I think you get my point. Some are for better and some are for worse. Put that on hold and I'll come back to that in a few minutes. This past week we began our Lenten journey with Ash Wednesday. And for those of you who may be unfamiliar with Lent, Lent is the period of weeks leading up to, to the great celebration of Easter. And Lent is a time in which we are encouraged to reflect on our lives and 
to turn back to God in areas where we have moved away from God. This season is often full of, I don't want to be this, or I don't want to be that, or I should be this, or I should be that. We often frame the Lent season with sort of an either-or theology. Either I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. Kind of, I'm going to do something good, or perhaps I'm remain on a path that isn't so good. Now, if you're familiar with today's gospel passage, you'll note that our reading ends with a focus on the joy and the completeness that comes when we do seek to serve the least of these. And in doing so, um, we seek to serve Jesus. But I begin with a question for those who are familiar with the Gospel of Matthew. What is it with all of these either-ors in the Gospel of Matthew? We're either sheep or we're goats. We're either faithful or we're disobedient. We either increase our talents or we hide them in a hole. We're either wise bridesmaids who save oil for our lamps or foolish bridesmaids who have none left. And the result, well, the scriptures say that um, we're heading for perhaps an eternal salvation or an eternal separation from God, depending on how we respond. And so I find myself asking another question. Do we honestly believe that Christianity, which for centuries has been grounded in a personal relationship with a loving God, a generous God, a freely self-giving God, do we honestly believe that Christianity is an either-or religion? There has to be something else going on here. Of course, we know that there have been and continue to be fractions of Christianity that depend upon, for lack of a better word, scaring people with images of fire and brimstone afterlife so they will commit their lives to Christ. But that's not what Jesus is after here. So I think we must dig a little bit deeper into Matthew's gospel. And in doing so, first of all, even if this is a parable about judgment, the, this title, the title, the, por the title of this portion of scripture is entitled The Judgment of the Nations. And as one scholar notes, quote, the Matthew 25 parable is about nations, not individuals. Come judgment day, the text argues, all nations will be gathered before him, him being the Son of Man, or Jesus, end of quote. So Matthew, in telling this story, is seeking to get at the structural nature of injustice and how whole communities of nations could, if, if they so choose, if we so choose, work together to correct injustice. And so if we are to identify ourselves with Christ or in Christ, the questions loom. How can we as Christians read a passage like this chapter in Matthew 25 and think that it has nothing to do with our current national debates over homelessness, over the current economy, over health care reform, over immigration, and the list goes on. And, and hear me correctly, I'm not prescribing answers and I, I'm not suggesting an agenda. But do you see what I'm saying? Whether we like it or not, we're citizens of a nation. You and I. And it's up to us in our individual capacities to 
to be a part of shaping a nation's policies so that those who are estranged can and will be helped. This is what our Christian faith calls us to do, both as individuals and as a community. But here again exists a kind of either orness about Christianity, for there are those in the Christian family and tradition who claim that the proper role of the church is to save individual souls. And then those individuals, once they have committed their lives to Christ, then they can play their role within the larger body. For many years, churches were, and they still are, frequently divided and characterized as either being evangelical or ecumenical. I don't know about you, but that's always been really unsettling to me. Because I grew up in a tradition that taught me that evangelical was good and taught me the best parts of being evangelical. Then I came into an understanding of what it would mean to be ecumenical. So why does it have to be either or? But when we embrace an either orness, I fear that we miss the very heart of the biblical message. Dr. Martin Luther King seemed to be someone who got it right when he said, any religion which professes to be concerned with the souls of people but is not concerned with the slums that damn them, the economic conditions that cripple them, such a religion is a dry-as-dust religion. And that's why it's helpful to begin to look at this passage with the realization that this passage is talking about the judgment of nations. But perhaps this image of nations can also be captured to mean denominations or congregations or our families or our peer groups or our work environments or those we go to school with. That is, anybody to which we are a part. In these constructs, who we are as a body and how we respond to Jesus whose Holy Spirit dwells within those who believe in him, is central to Christ's vision of the kingdom of God. But even if the judgment of nations, of groupings of people, is the original intent behind this passage, we still find ourselves asking, what does this mean for us as individuals, for, for men and women, for younger and older, for you and me? And what Jesus says here seems to come as a, as a surprise to his listeners in the text today. And my guess is that it probably should sound a bit strange to us as well, but I wonder if the radicalness of, of Christ being in us has been tamed after 21 centuries of hearing these words. I think that we need to imagine ourselves alongside of the people who are in this scripture today. Um, imagine ourselves alongside of them asking together, what do you mean, Lord? How is it that you are inside someone else? This has got to be a metaphor that you're talking about, right? Well, Matthew, I think, fleshes out that, no, it's not a metaphor. It's Matthew's way of describing what it's like for a faithful person to love someone else, even those who aren't particularly or naturally within our, our circle of lovable types. 
Matthew isn't saying, pretend that God is in people, and that will enable to you love them. What Matthew's saying is, Christ's followers love others because they, the other, are created in the image of God. And for the folks in today's gospel lesson, it seems that this idea that, that when they actually love the least of these, they are actually loving Jesus. It seems like this idea comes as a complete surprise to them. What is being offered here is a description of, of what real love is like. Friends, love is never anonymous when it's healthy. When we extend love to another, it always means, it is always a means of participation in God's love, whether or not we label it so. Matthew's being quite down to earth here. He's leveling all religious privilege in the name of Jesus Christ. For every one of us, there seems, or there often seems to be a tension between loving individuals one by one, offering them food or drink or shelter or clothing or friendship as Jesus directs here in Matthew 25. And in our participating in activities or efforts that, tend to, that, that help to end or alleviate sufferings on a much more macro level. For years um, of involvement with many different Christian organizations and among you and with you, I have seen this tension exist in questions like, are we really doing any good? Are we really doing any good for the people that we are serving when we do these projects and these efforts? Will our participation in something like the World AIDS Day service or the Seattle AIDS Walk actually relieve suffering caused by, by a terrible disease? Perhaps it's a bit like the old saying, give a person the fish, and you've fed that person for a day. Teach a person to fish, and you've fed that person for a lifetime. And then there are those in our midst who would go on to add a third option. Well, get rid of the pollution and the waterways and the predatory practices of big corporate fisheries, and you've enabled whole communities to live more healthy lives. No judgment intended <laughs> for corporate fisheries. I'm just giving an example. But what I do want to suggest, as I did at the very beginning, and what I believe Matthew is saying about Jesus' approach to loving others, is it's not an either-or-ness. But rather, could it be a, a both-and? It's both handing the person who comes knocking at our door for a bag of food for the local food bank, and we know that that is a very present reality. It's going to our cupboard and filling up that bag and giving it to them for the food bank, and it's lobbying our government for policies that will increase a more equitable distribution of resources and income for all. You see, it's both individual and corporate, and both are essential ways for us as Christians to respond to Jesus' words of what you've done to the least of these, you've done to me and my family. As Dale has suggested for the five Sundays of Lent, we'll be unpacking the theme cultivating fruitfulness and looking at five practices that many say are essential for healthy and growing congregations. Everyone, younger, older, 
every one of you, I would encourage you to go right after this morning's worship service and pick up that daily devotional book from the front office. And let's focus on these practices together. The practice that I'm fleshing out today is risk-taking mission and service. The reality is that healthy congregations, that fruitful congregations, that growing congregations are congregations who are actively engaged in risk-taking mission and service. And when I say mission and service, I'm referring to the projects, the efforts that we participate in to make a positive difference in the lives of others for the purposes of Christ. Whether or not they will ever become a part of the community of faith. And when I say risk-taking, I'm talking about that which pushes us out of our comfort zones, stretching us beyond service to people we already know, exposing us to people, situations, and needs that we would never ordinarily encounter without our deliberate intentions, our deliberate desires to serve Christ, to know Jesus. Not just know about Jesus, but to know Jesus, as Eliana said in her children's sermon. And so risk-taking mission and service involves our efforts to alleviate suffering and injustice, to imp improve the conditions of others in the name of Jesus Christ. Basically the golden rule, which we all know, it's found in, earlier in the book of Matthew, I think it's in the Gospel of Luke as well, do unto others as... Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There are so many tangible examples of risk-taking mission in our midst. Ways in which you and, and this congregation is engaged in risk-taking mission. In fact, if you remember just, I think, two weeks ago, we, we invited Dan and Lindsay McDougall to come and stand right up in the midst of us to, to commission them to go and serve with Doctors Without Borders in Haiti for a, a short-term mission. As we meet, they are on the ground in Haiti. The last public communication we heard from them was this. They told us, we have made it to the main camp, but much of the team's luggage did not. We were traveling for about 14 hours with all the weather delays, so we got about three hours of rest last night. But today we flew into Haiti and had been at the main medical station only about 20 minutes before we were recruited to go to a new site and see patients. It was chaos beyond belief. Tomorrow, we really find out what we can do to help. Another example of risk-taking mission was our sending 50 of our confirmation students and student leaders and adult leaders to Portland last weekend to work with and among the homeless population of that city. And this morning, we have the great privilege of having one of our confirmation students with us to share a bit more about her Portland experience. And so I'd like to invite Michaela to come with me and, and just to answer. Michaela, just to come with me and to answer two questions. Um, but one of the cool things is Lindsay shared with me that um, on your last day of communion, when you guys had communion together, um, that it was actually this Matthew 25 passage that she read to you. So I thought that was um, pretty amazing and, and a great encouragement as we're asking you to be here today. But Michaela, the first question I would ask for you to share with us is, um, what ways or how did you see God working in the lives of those that you served um, and those uh, who were a part of your group in Portland? Well, we went out for our night walks 
to talk to the homeless. I saw something in both of their eyes. I saw hope that someone cared about them enough. I saw the realization that someone loved them. And for the students, they realized that they can do something. We all hear that we can do something about it, be the change, but we don't always know how. And now we know. Amen. And um, maybe a more personal question to you is, um, how did God um, move or change, uh, move in your life or change your life personally um, through the Portland Mission experience? I always worked with the Plymouth on Stewart and Kent City, and I was really excited to see, oh wow, I can actually talk to someone who's been through maybe even more than I've got to realize. And I realized that love is ever-changing and every one of those people I have met were good people. They were all good people. And that will change me forever. Well, um, it's always hard to get up in front of people and talk, so put your hands together, and um, Michaela, we give thanks to God for you. And we give thanks to God for um, Michaela, for our confirmation students, um, and for that experience of knowing that God teaches us new things through experiences um, like um, the opportunity that you had. Dan and Lindsay McDougall and Michaela Quince and her confirmation class, each and every one of us um, will probably be faced with the question that Michaela herself just said, is what we can offer or is what we can, can we make a change, is what we can do effective? Is it really changing lives? Does it make a difference? And in asking those questions, we must turn again to today's parable and we must notice that Jesus doesn't really say anything about effectiveness. He only asks, did you feed the hungry? Did you clothe the naked? When I was in prison, did you come to visit me? It's good to know that whether or not you think, we think that we can change the world, every day we have the opportunity to wake up again and to try to be faithful. And Jesus promises us that the faithfulness, that faithfulness can and will change the world for the better, bringing about the kingdom of God here on earth as it will one day be for us in heaven. Friends, Jesus only asks you to be faithful. This isn't an either-or vision of sheep and goats, but rather we're all sheep. God is always, always pursuing each and every one of us. And if we're honest... We're all goats. We all sin and we turn away from God. And we turn away and we turn back. And we turn away and we turn back. I don't want to be a goat. Nope. But the truth of the matter is we're both and, not either or. And that's why the good news of the gospel is good news for each and every one of us, individually and together. And in this season of Lent, may our hearts 
May our minds uniquely be ushered over and over again into the presence of our living God, not just when we gather here and, and sit together and worship, but as we're living our everyday ordinary lives, because the truth of the matter is that I have a responsibility to you to be faithful, that you have a responsible to me, responsibility to me to be faithful, and that we have a responsibility to be faithful to and for all the world. And yes, this is a very tall order, but let's not be riddled with questions or commitments of should I do this or should I do that or should I be like this or should I be like that? But rather, may we be consumed with the only prayer that, that I believe matters. Jesus, teach me, teach us to be your faithful followers. Today's gospel lesson steers us in that direction. Jesus says, whatever you have done to the least of these, you have done to me. Let us pray together. Jesus, teach us to be your faithful followers. Teach us how to take risks and our being, and our being present to and being present for and reaching out to one another. And write the words on our hearts so that they may burn brightly, that whatever we have done to the least of these, we have done to you. For we pray these things together in your name. Amen. My brothers and sisters, to a world in need, you and I are called to be hope. And through our sharing, we can make a difference in the lives of others. As we bring our tithes and offerings this morning, let our hearts be glad that through our shared resources, we are working together for the kingdom of God. Our ushers will now come forward to receive the morning's offering. 